now transition into our radio broadcast and would like to welcome our KKBB listening audience to the Abundant Life Seventh-day Adventist Church service already in progress. Abundant Life is located at 1720 North J Street in Las Vegas, Nevada. You may obtain a tape, a CD, or a DVD of today's service by calling 647-2627, or you may email us at AbundantLifeSDA at LVCoxMail.com. You may also log on to the internet at www.AbundantLifeLV.org. Today is Singles Ministry Day, and our speaker for today's service is Dr. David L. Taylor. Dr. Taylor's educational background includes a BA degree in theology and history from Oakwood College in Huntsville, Alabama, 1957, a BA degree in history and technology from Pepperdine University in Malibu, California, 1959, an MA degree in Applied Theology from Andrews University in Berrien Springs, Michigan, 1961, and a Doctorate in Ministry degree in American Christian History and Preaching from Vanderbilt University, Nashville, Tennessee, in 1977. From 1987 to 1990, Dr. Taylor served as Vice President and Secretary of the Central California Conference of Seventh-day Adventists in Clovis, California. From 1991 to 1992, he served as the Vice President of the Pacific Union Conference of Seventh-day Adventists, which encompasses Arizona, California, Nevada, Utah, and Hawaii. From 1992 to 1994, Dr. Taylor was elected president of the Atlantic Union Conference of Seventh-day Adventists, which encompasses Bermuda, New England, and New York. At Oakwood College, Dr. Taylor ministered as chaplain and assistant professor of religion, and later became assistant to the president for West Coast Marketing. He has functioned as a pastor in the Southeastern, the Southern, and Northern California conferences. He accepted the challenges of Youth Ministries Director and Intercity Coordinator in the Southeastern and Central California conferences, and was the first African American to serve in the Pacific Union. Dr. Taylor is currently serving at Loma Linda University where he has been a professor of religion since 1994. Since 2001 to the present, he has served as associate dean and also as the university's interim special assistant to the president for diversity. Dr. Taylor is married to Maxine Clark of Fresno, California, and his wife serves as assistant professor in the nutrition and dietetic department in the School of Applied Health at Loma Linda University. Dr. Taylor and his wife have two children, Gerald of Oakland and Cheryl Neal of Fresno. 
and they have also been blessed with four grandchildren. Before Dr. Taylor speaks, we will have a selection by the Abundant Life Singles Group, after which the next voice you hear will be that of our speaker of the hour, Dr. David L. Taylor. Hear ye him.
historic lady, an important lady in my life. And I want to focus with you today on singles ministry about the model ministry, a ministry that will reach not just singles, but will minister to the entire church. A ministry that is effective and will have impact on the lives of many people. And I submit to you today that Jesus Christ is God's answer to establishing a model ministry. I'm going to repeat that that Jesus Christ is God's answer to establishing model ministries, and above all, single ministries, women's ministries, men's ministry, youth ministry, early teens ministry. Look at Jesus. He is the paragon, the example of what ministry is all about. And I need to and should express my appreciation to your pastor, uh, Dr. Rock. I first met him when I was a student at Oakwood College in 1952. We had a special graduation, a dedicatory service, and he was the speaker. I'd heard so much about this Calvin B. Rock, and I waited 
holding my breath, sitting on the edge of the seat in Moran Hall and coming out the side door into the stage, I saw this tall, dashing young man who had a voice like many waters. And I'll never forget his message. Uh, he spoke about growing up in Los Angeles. And he was walking home one day. And he stopped near Fremont High School and peeked through the chain link fence. And there they were having a track meet. And those young black brothers whose skin had evidently been swabbed down in olive oil to glow under the glistening sun of Los Angeles. And there they were running the 200 yard and the 100 yard and the high and low hurdles and there C.B. Rock was looking through that chain link fence and he recalled the relays and how the young men started out and they weren't clenching their fists like this you're wasting energy they had their hands like this and they were moving and how the fella passed the baton onto the waiting out stretched hand and he would go around the curve and then the next man and how they won and he received the sense you know God is calling me to pass on that baton and that was the challenge he gave to our graduates that day never forget it C.B. Rock and I had the privilege of working with him and the privilege of serving with him on committees when he was in the general conference. Uh, Pastor, God bless you, and Sister Clotta. She's my special as well. And then to our single ministries officers, you are mighty important as well because you are dealing with those who are single. Single, number one, they haven't made a decision yet to be married. Single number two, perhaps they were married, but they're now divorced. Single number three, they were married, but their loved one predeceased them. Or we have those singles. And as a church, and I'm going to whisper this, we do a great injustice many times to our singles who are within the church. And we do that injustice because we will plan banquets, we will plan occasions, and we say we want you to come as couples. But they're single. And so they stay at home in the shadows of their apartment. Apart? Yes, apart by themselves, lonely. And so in singles ministry, you have quite a ministry. That's why I want to give you the model today. That's why I want the church to listen to this model. Then I want to thank the Petersons. They have opened their homes to us. I've taught Mr. Peterson at PUC I performed their wedding when they got married, and I really tied a knot. It's not a slip knot. They're there. 
And now I've seen them just expand and grow. He was the engineer, she was production manager, and now I see two bottom lines, Carly and Claire. And they are growing, and I thank God for their hospitality. And the others who have reached out, inviting me already, come and go with us. But I said, well, I, I can't. The pastor has plans. And I followed the pastor. You see, I look up to Dr. Rock. He's taller than I am. <laughs> and I respect uh, his integrity. And to you as the church, abundant life. Your history goes before you. I remember when you started just as a little company, as a group. I remember Elder McLeod and Elder Evans and can go down to the Pennix and different ones who served here. And now look at you. Look how God has blessed you. Abundant life you are living. You are alive. And you indeed are special. Now, let's bow our heads. Father, we're asking for just three things today. We're asking that you would touch our minds, that we might understand and grasp the principles of a model ministry for singles. And Lord, we pray that you would massage our hearts to cause us to love you more. And then you would take us the marrieds, the singles, the young, and the unyoung, and use us to be witnesses that will glorify you. Thank you for what you've done, what you're going to do. In Jesus' name we pray. Let's all say together, amen, amen. Now, let me brief you on the title of this message on Singles Day. Let me brief you. It's taken from John, the 19th chapter. What book did I say? John. And it's found in the 19th chapter. Now I'm going to use three verses, 25, pardon me, 25, 26, 7, and 8. Four. Four verses. John 19. And John is the author of this gospel. And this gospel was written according to some of the commentators all in the early 70s, late 60s. But John lived, they say, longest and longer than any of the other disciples. And John is a universal book. Because when you read Matthew, Matthew focuses on the Jews. You find prophecies and writings quoting Jeremiah and Isaiah, Old Testament writers. In Matthew, you see the Jewish tradition coming out where men could divorce the women and the women could not divorce the men. And if a man desires a divorce, then you read it. Here's what he could do. And then you look at Mark. And Mark was written largely to the Romans. Ah, now the Gentiles come into play. 
uh, you find no family tree. Because as the Romans, we have conquered you. We don't care about your roots, Alex Haley. We don't care about Kenta Kunte and Chicken George. You have been captured. So you find no family tree. So as Mark is written, he shows the powerful miracles that Jesus had done, opening of the blind eyes, healing those who were crippled, performing the miracles. You Romans think you're great? Look at this mighty Jesus. And then when you get to Luke, Luke traces the family tree not back to the first Jew as we find in Matthew, but back to the first man, Adam. Because the Greeks were interested in mankind. And so we have this family tree traced back to Adam. And there in Luke, we find poetry like it has never been spoken before. And when you read the Greek, it is beautiful. And, and Luke was a doctor, and he, he wrote in such a way, and he didn't use any fast, fancy language. He used the everyday language that people could understand. But John, oh, what a gospel. John is the universal gospel. His genealogy is not traced back to the first Jew. His genealogy is not traced back to the first man. When you read the Gospel of John, he says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was before any man or woe man were ever created. And he says, and that Word was made flesh, and dwelled among you and me on the face of the earth, even here in Las Vegas, and letting you see how we ought to live and how we ought to behave. And that's why I have come to show you what ministry is all about. You could go to Greyhound stations, trailway, not much anymore. Catch the trains and you will see those little tracks that people stuff in those literature racks. And usually you'll find the Gospel of John. Because John was that universal, given for you and given for me. And there you will see ministry. It is like a cameo. It's placed against that backdrop and it's raised just a little. And all of your attention is placed on that raised piece of art, which says, oh, what a beautiful cameo. And this cameo that we have, Jesus says, here is how ministry should be done. Here is what ministry is all about. And I want you to see how it speaks to the church in general and singers, singers, singles in particular. Now, let me read John 19. In reading John 19, I'll read 25 through 28. I want you to follow along. Don't read with me. So many translations and versions folks would think we couldn't read. So you follow along. I'm reading from the Message Bible. Are you there? 25. 
Jesus' mother, his aunt, Mary, the wife of Clophus, and Mary of Magdalia, stood at the foot of the cross. Thank God for the women. They're there. 26, Jesus saw his mother and the disciple he loved standing near her. He said to his mother, woman, here is your son. And then in verse 27, he turns to that disciple, here is your mother. From that moment, the disciple accepted her as his own mother. Having placed before us this model, verse 28 says, Jesus seeing that everything had been completed so that the scripture record might also be complete, then said, I'm thirsty. Taking time in his agony to think about others and not just himself. And when Jesus Christ came the first time, he came as the Messiah. He says, in ministries that I will show you, it will be a model to deliver you, to help you. I am your Messiah, which means deliverer. And then he says, I've also come as your savior. It's not that you're just having programs to feed the physical person, but I am your savior. This ministry will speak to your spiritual needs as well. I am not just concerned with the right now. I am also concerned about the hereafter. And he says, I am the model. I am the example. Observe what I do. Observe my approach. Observe the different aspects of singles ministry and some things that you can get done. Now, you'll find accounts of different things in ministry in what we call the synoptic gospel, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, synoptic gospels. Say synoptic. Now, what we mean by that is that they give a synopsis of an account, of a story. They look at it from different perspectives. And as you look at my fist that is clenched, you over here give your synopsis of what you see. You over there give your synopsis of what you see. You up front give your synopsis. Then you tie it all together and you get the full picture. 
But John is a non-synoptic. He goes a little deeper. He looks at things as one, ah, God made flesh. And this is why we draw from John today and notice as we look at the others how Jesus does ministry. Keep your finger in John there. But I want you to go to chapter 8 of John. Chapter 8 of John. And in John chapter 8, I'm going to read something. I want you to follow law. I want you to observe. John chapter 8. You'll look at verse 4. Listen as I read. Verse 4, and said, teacher, this woman was caught red-handed in the act of adultery. Verse 5, Moses, in the law, gives orders to stone such persons. What do you say? You see, they're trying to get a theological battle going. Verse 6, they were trying to trap him into saying something incriminating so they could bring charges against him. You see, you study to show yourselves approved unto whom? God. But many study to show themselves how smart I am and what you don't know and what I know, and I'll trap you. Notice verse uh, 6. Jesus bent down. He didn't give any argument and wrote with his finger in the dirt. Jesus said, I, I refuse. Singles ministries, leaders, those who are part of it, don't get caught up in theological arguments. She left him. He left her. Who's, don't get caught up in that. They tried the same thing on Jesus. And Jesus says, I have nothing to say to you by not saying anything and getting down. And he began to write with his finger. Notice verse 7. They kept at him. And you'll find people are insistent. They will keep at you to prove their point. They kept at him, badgering him. He straightened up and said, the sinless one among you, go first. Throw the stone. Okay, here's clinical aspects. Here's the application of ministry. Okay, you who are sinless, you go. Uh, you, you throw the stone. And I want you to remember, never let this slip your thinking as you look at what Jesus said to those men. Within Abundant Life Church, we have only two categories. How many categories? Two categories of people. You have sinner, and you have sinner, 
saved by grace. Only two categories. When you say we have the sinners and the righteous, you have problems. And that's when you get the wheat and the tares. And the tares are only those who disagree with me. Have you ever noticed that? That's the tear. They don't agree with you. And so Jesus said, you, without sin, you cast the first stone. Notice verse 8. Bending down again, he wrote more in the dirt. Hearing that, they walked away in verse 9. One after another, beginning with the eldest, the woman was left alone. The eldest, Christ began to write. Out the door. I don't go to church, all those old folks, what they are doing. That's why I don't come to church. The youngest, out the door. Now, notice single ministry. Notice carefully. Verse 10. Jesus stood up and spoke to her, woman, where are they? Does no one condemn you? No one, master, neither do I, said Jesus. Don't have a ministry of condemnation. You let the folks talk. You do ministry, as Jesus says. Go on your way. I'm not condoning how your marriage turned out or how it did not turn out, but... From now on, don't sin. This woman was caught in what? How do you commit adultery by yourself? You know what I think Jesus wrote in the dirt? Where's the man? Where's the man? And so often, as I listen to statistics, it talks about the black man, and he ain't there, and part my grammar for saying ain't, but he ain't there. Ladies, don't let him be there from the start. Don't blame him, he's not there. Why pay for milk when you can get it free? Now, I tell you what could have possibly been concerning that man. When you read back into the background of this text, you will find if a man were caught in adultery and his wife forgave him, they wouldn't stone him. Maybe he had a forgiving wife. Was she single? Or was she married? Husband said, no way. Maybe he was an unforgiving man. And to conclude this model that you see, 
What they would do, they would take them to a high area, push her off, she would hit the ground many feet below, then if she was still alive, they would stand up and throw down the rocks on her until she was dead. And so all the rocks were dropped. You could hear them. Hear sandals shuffling in the dirt. And this lady there on the ground, and she looks and she sees dirty feet. I guess she closed her eyes waiting for a kick. But instead, He said, daughter, now I tell you this, in singles ministry, remember this. When people are in trouble, the best place you can end up will be at the feet of Jesus. Amen. And at the feet of Jesus, he raised her up. I don't condone what you have done, but you go and sin no more. I don't condone, but I affirm you as a daughter of God. That's his model. And I loved it. He gave us another one. I, I, I want you to go to Luke. What book did I say? Now, Luke's the doctor. And when, and when you look at Luke, you, you'll see particulars that some of the others don't have. As I told you, Luke, the physician, the Greek, he was the only Gentile among those disciples. Luke, eighth chapter, are you there? Now notice how he dealt in this ministry. Notice. You're still turning. I'm listening. Luke 8, and I want to look at verse 42, 43. Okay, listen, here's another model by Jesus, how he handles situations. Notice carefully. I'll read. You'll follow. Verse 43, in the crowd that day, there was a woman who for 12 years had been afflicted with hemorrhages. She has spent every penny she had on doctors, but no one had been able to help her. In some translations, in Luke, he leaves that out. You know why, don't you? He's a doctor. He didn't want to look bad. You mean doctors couldn't help her? So Luke leaves it out when you look at some translations. But here in the Message Bible, they put it in. And in the other accounts, they have it in. And in the ghetto, when we would sing, Jesus met the woman. And the doctors had done all they could. Nothing happened. Sam Cooke just, oh, 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 you heard it. 
Don't, don't play like you don't know who Sam Cooke is. The doctors could do her no good. Notice verse 44. She slipped in from behind and touched the edge of Jesus' robe. That's significant. She touched what? The robe. Here it says the edge. In the Greek it says the edge. You see, you could tell one of God's children back then by their dress. Pause for effect. You can look at them. Children of Israel. Children of Israel. Children of Israel. How do you know that? You could tell it by their dress. Because God's people on their robes at the very edge, it had a border of what? Blue. You saw the blue, you knew who they were. You could tell who by the blue, by their dress. And she got that difference. And she, she touched it. And as you read commentaries, as you read back into the history, the Greek said that she had a stench about her. There was an odor about her. And when she would walk, people would just let her have her space. Give me my space. She didn't have to ask for it. So verse 40. Before she slipped in from behind, touched the edge of Jesus' robe. At that very moment, her hemorrhaging stopped. Jesus said, who touched you? Peter said, what's wrong with you? All of these people around you and folks brushing up against you and people in society, Las Vegas, Los Angeles, Loma Linda, wherever you are, people touch you. But this was a special touch. Something left him. I'll tell you, like I tell my students at Loma Linda, on next Wednesday, not this coming Wednesday, the following Wednesday, I will get 30 new medical students. I've already gathered some doctors. They will work with me, and I usually get doctors of a high degree of visibility so our young folks can see that they can reach those areas too. Then I get some of the other visibility. Why do you want to be a doctor? Then you can hear some stories that are heart-wrenching. When my little brother died from a terminal illness, when my mother died, when my grandmother died, I had a little dog who got hit, and I wished I could bring him to life or heal him, but I couldn't. some stories and then I'll say to them like I say to you remember you are taking medicine not to get rich 
you are taking medicine so that you can serve. And then I tell them about Jesus, MD. You see, many of our physicians today, and I tell them, MD behind your name does not mean mostly divine. Only Jesus Christ was the divine physician, the divine healer. And don't forget, as physicians, you can't heal. Only God can heal. You can cure. And so this woman, she touched him. She was healed. She was made whole. Singles. People may give up on folks. You don't. They may, may want to stay from them. You don't. Oh, my wife, she, I don't know what she thinks about. She's on the off-ramp going to Loma Linda. She'll see some of those folks begging with their signs. She'll give them money all the time. So I find now I just keep change there, and I give them change. Sometimes I give them dollars. People say, those folks, you, you let their hands touch yours? My neighbor. Have you ever heard of the little book, Desire of Ages? Take it off the shelf, blow off the dust. <laughs> Read it. And in that book, they ask, who is my neighbors? And singles ministry, we must keep this in mind. It was a lawyer who stood up and said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Designing, desiring to get in theological conflict. And Jesus says, uh-uh. Let me tell you a story. And he told them a story. What Jesus did to the man who had been beaten by thieves. And who is my neighbor? And that special messenger to the church in the book Desire of Ages says, my neighbor is anyone who is bruised by the adversary. My neighbor is anyone who is created by God. My neighbor is anyone who is in need. That is my neighbor. That lady with the issue of blood, body odor and all, Jesus ministered to her. Now I'm going to conclude. It's five minutes of, started at 20 after. The week before Jesus died, and read in Matthew 21, just read the chapter. He had been having battle with folks who decided how ministry should be done. So the week before he died, it says he went to Bethany. That's in verse 17. Why Bethany? The week before Jesus died and was crucified, he went to the home of Simon the leper. A leper is an outcast. A leper is someone that folks look down on and they are passed over. And he went to this man's house and he spent time with him. Read Desire of Ages. 
the chapter on Bethany. And he spends time with this man. Read Leviticus chapters 13 and 14. They told you what to do with lepers. When the lepers walked down the street, they had to cry, unclean, unclean. That's nothing, Taylor. Can you imagine me going in the streets of Las Vegas, HIV positive, HIV positive. And their fingers would drop off. If they had a key trying to get into a lock that was rusty, they would turn and suddenly they would look down and see one of their fingers, the digits on the floor. And from that leprosy, it impacted their, impacted their breathing and, and they told us a way to sell. And Jesus goes to a place like this. You see, his ministry is, I care for those who are passed over and whose society looks down on. And then he was crucified. And there's a Hispanic theologian by the name of Unamundo. Unamundo gives his definition of foreign missions. You know what our definition of foreign missions is? Our definition of foreign missions is, I get money together and I fly over to Africa, I fly down into Mexico, I fly over to China. What are you doing? I'm going to do foreign missionary work. Unamundo says foreign missions does not involve flying someplace, but when any life is foreign to the will and the mission of God. That is foreign mission. And you must be there and we must be there. Definition of foreign mission. Any life that is foreign to the will of God. 2008, Society focuses on some things, and we have gotten caught up in it. Now, some may disagree with me. That's okay. We can talk. We can chat and chew over lunch, okay? But listen, some of us are upset because folks are pushing for no prayer in our schools. Yeah, that's right. No prayer. We need to have prayer in schools. Okay, when I came up, we had prayer in school. How many of you had prayer in school when you came up? Did you go to an all-black school? I did, because I couldn't go to the other school. We had prayer. The books I got were not new. They were the old books, all marked up from the community on the other. You know what I'm talking about. That's why you applaud. Prayer in school, folks, it's not the idea of prayer in school. I want prayer in school. My child is going to church school. Well, we're upset because they don't want the commandments up in the halls of justice, in the halls of Congress. Now, I talk with many people. They say the commandments are nailed to the cross. 
So why are they so upset now that they can't be on plaster in the building if they've been nailed to a cross? Now, you know why, don't you? It's got that fourth one in there nobody wants to recognize, but suddenly to be pious, oh, who is my neighbor? Oh, what about God's name? No commandments in the halls of justice. Well, they want to take God's name off our money. We want God's name on our money. We want the saying, in God we trust. And folks get upset. Yeah, we want God's name on our money. Okay, let me define something for you. 